Welcome to Food Marketing Nerds, your weekly serving of marketing advice and industry insights with the smartest minds in the business. Here's your host, Alex Osterley. What is good, my nerd family? You are in for a treat today. If you're the type of person who likes to geek out on paid social, sales funnels, or just all around masterful digital marketing, then boy, do I have the episode for you. Excited to introduce our guest today, Yoonji Nam, head of growth at the company transforming the cereal category, Magic Spoon. And by cereal, I mean like breakfast cereal that you eat with milk, not cereal as in true crime podcast with a bummer of a second season. Magic Spoon is like the healthy version of your favorite childhood cereals. And if you're anything like me, you might be already somewhat familiar with them from some eye-catching Instagram or Facebook ads. Magic Spoon is turning the cereal aisle upside down. And the crazy part is they aren't even in the cereal aisle, which is where Yoonji comes in. Having worked at successful online companies like Away and Hawthorne, she's helping Magic Spoon leverage a similar direct-to-consumer approach to build emotional connections to the brand that money can't buy. From general mindset down to tactical execution, there is so much to learn from this interview, like what consumer data most companies already have but severely underutilize, how to effectively personalize customer journeys, why you have it all wrong when it comes to organic social, and a ton more. We've dabbled in topics like digital media, sales funnels, and e-commerce in previous episodes, but not like Yoon is about to. So get ready to absorb some knowledge. Yoon thank you so much for joining us. I'm thrilled to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. So can you tell our listeners just a little bit about your background and what your path looked like to get to Magic Spoon? Okay. So my name is Yoon I am currently the head of growth here at Magic Spoon. That is a healthy, delicious cereal brand. Before Magic Spoon, I grew up in South Korea, in Seoul, and I moved to the States at age 13. After studying economics and statistics, I started my career in management consulting, where I learned how to make data-driven decisions and recommendations and how to tell a story with data. And then I moved on and started in the startup world at Away, the travel brand best known for their suitcase, where I built the consumer insights function. After that, I joined Hawthorne, the tailored men's cologne and personal care brand as their first employee and director of growth. And I joined Magic Spoon finally earlier this year. That's great. I think the common thread between all of those companies that you've worked at is I see them in my Instagram feed on a regular basis, or at least I used to. So as head of growth, seems like potentially daunting set of responsibilities. What falls within your purview? Currently, Magic Spoon is director consumer only. So customers can only buy our cereal online on our website. So my main mission as a head of growth is to grow the company and the brand as efficiently and responsibly as possible. As you just mentioned, advertising on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube channels, podcasts, and acquiring customers efficiently in those channels is one of my main responsibilities. But also just as important is keeping our customers excited about our brand and keeping them coming back for more is a main, main part of my responsibility. Lastly, because we are direct-to-consumer and our website is such an important part of our customer's journey with us, how do we make the website as approachable, as intuitive, and as fun to be on as possible is also a part of my role. Curious, when it comes to growing your customer base responsibly, what what do you mean by that? I think that especially among the kind of D2C startup wave, there was a time when grow, grow, grow and grow at all costs was kind of the number one goal of every company. I think with the current landscape, the kind of activity that's been happening in the D2C world, a lot of people are asking themselves, why? Like, why are we only focusing on growth? Like, why are we not thinking about profitability and sustainability of companies? 
I think a lot more folks have been thinking about how do we make sure that this growth and the fast-paced growth is responsible and there's actually a reasonable path to profitability. So responsible growth to us means that we're not just chasing after acquiring new customers, but also really prioritizing our existing customers being happy and engaged and coming back for more. As far as the product goes, what separates Magic Spoon from any other cereal? I like to think that Magic Spoon is in the middle of a Venn diagram. So traditionally, the delicious cereal that we grew up eating is so, so good, but is also full of sugar and carbs and just a lot of other things that are really bad for you. So that's the first circle. And then the second circle is the healthier alternatives, many of which, and it doesn't even have to be just cereal, a lot of like kind of healthy alternative foods can taste a little weird, especially to folks who aren't used to the stevia taste or folks that are on like a keto diet or low carb diet. So I think we just really hit the sweet spot, (laughs) pun intended, of (laughs) both healthy and delicious. And we are really effectively acquiring customers who aren't on a low carb diet, but just casually healthy folks who are trying to eat a little more responsibly. And I think that is what really differentiates us. One of the things that you mentioned you think the brand has has really accomplished or it has done really well is it's found its product market fit. And I am curious in a, in a role like yours or in any situation, really, what does a great product market fit look like? And how does one go about really finding that? I think the first aspect of that is, is it an emotional experience for the customer? So one of the reasons why that I decided to join Magic Spoon was that I was very uncharacteristically on a low carb diet <laughs> at the end of last year. And I just remember when my friend first told me about Magic Spoon and they said, Oh my goodness, like you can still eat cereal even when you're on a low carb diet. Check this brand out. And I ordered it and I tasted it. That kind of emotional experience that I had of, Oh, I thought that. I couldn't eat any of this anymore. But here's this company that's enabling that for me. That kind of really viscerally emotional experience of being able to eat something delicious while trying to be healthy was just the number one factor for me to be like, Oh, there's something here. This is going to be a success story. I want to be a part of this journey. And I think the other easy litmus test for me is, would you spend your own money? If you had to open up your wallet and literally buy this product, would you do it? And would you do it happily? And would you do it multiple times? And Magic Spoon certainly passes that both of those factors. And because it's a food brand too, right? Like genuinely, is it delicious? And is it not delicious for just certain groups of people? Or But is it mass appeal delicious? I think those are all important parts of the product market fit. When you are trying to research or look into consumer insights, what do you look for for an emotional response? Is that focus groups or... Yeah, I mean, especially when I'm trying to make my career decisions, for example, like, do I want to join this company or not? I don't have the luxury of a budget. So I do usually little organic market tests. <laughs> so I literally would bring the cereal over to some of my friends who like, don't even know what keto is, don't even know what low carb is. And then just say like, Hey, do you like this? Would you eat this? Would you pay money for it? And then I would do kind of do the same exercise to my super healthy friends, super health conscious friends and say, Hey, can you believe that this is keto? Would you pay for this? And would you actually buy this? And I found that there was a lot of positive response on kind of both ends of the spectrum, which really made me realize that the product market fit is definitely there. The process you just described sounds like the entire creative brief for every Burger King Impossible (laughs) Whopper ad. But it makes sense. makes perfect sense. So from an entrepreneurial or product development team standpoint, where in the process should you really start thinking about product market fit or really be looking into that data? 
I actually think that that should be the very first thing that they think about. If you have to engineer it or kind of convince yourself that there is a product market fit, I think you kind of have to stop and think and ask yourself, like, are you really solving a real problem? Like, is this addressing a real actual gap that exists in the market? Or are you solving a problem that doesn't actually exist for the sake of it? Because the whole business model just breaks, right? If the product market fit isn't there, because that means then your initial customer base isn't going to come back anymore, because for some reason, they don't want to buy your product anymore. So then you're going to be left having to acquire new customers. But if your product isn't good enough that your existing customers don't want to come back, like you know that those new customers are also going to leave. And so I think this is the most important thing that your business is going to be built upon. So I think it should be the very first thing that people think about. In your role, you are not only responsible for growing your customer base, but also keeping your existing customers happy. How do you balance growing the brand with direct response growth side versus making sure customers are happy and engaged? For a little while, a lot of companies deprioritize customer retention and keeping existing customers happy. But that is actually one of our biggest growth factors. And so that is just as important for us as acquiring new customers. So I think for us, we actually use our insights from our existing customers to help us acquire new customers and really fuel that growth. So for example, we survey a lot of our existing customers and also analyze their activity and behavior to understand what they really love about us. and. So for example, the new flavors that we launch or flavors that we launch as a limited edition but decide to keep, those all come from our fans telling us the blueberry flavor is so good. Keep it, please. And we actually updated our variety pack, which used to have another flavor to include the blueberry because our existing customer loved them so much and would literally write us in, DM us, email us being like, I want to buy more of that. So that helps us really shape and update our product and also acquire new customers. And another example is... So we are able to collect a lot of customer reviews and we get a lot of feedback and we really read through them and really digest them in a meaningful way. So one instance of that that is directly applicable to marketing is that we realized there were a lot of diabetic customers writing in that were telling us, I love Magic Spoon so much. You guys really changed my life. I thought cereal was out of my diet for the rest of my life, but I am seeing no blood sugar spikes with your product. And I just like can't tell you how much I appreciate you, which is super heartwarming, but also really insightful for us, right? So then I took that insight and then started thinking, oh, there must be a lot of other diabetic potential customers out there that are asking themselves, is this going to cause my blood sugar to spike? And are there other customers that have bought this and ate this and had a really good experience? So then we're looking at ways to proactively answer those questions and how do we include that information on our website and all of that stuff. So we really take our existing customers' feedback very seriously and try to learn and iterate on them as much as possible to then use that for new customer acquisition. Would you say when it comes to the customer behavior as far as gauging how emotionally invested or engaged they are with the brand. Are there any bellwethers as far as customer actions that are indicative of whether they're engaged or disengaged? We do track our customer reviews. We look at what they're rating us or their experience as, but also what are they saying? So we will sometimes look at a word cloud of their reviews and see if there are any consistent themes. And we will send them customer surveys to ask, Hey, why do you love Magic Spoon? If you had to recommend what star rating would you give? Would you recommend us to your friends and family? Why? Why not? And so we take all of those metrics very seriously, including 
how many people even respond? How many people even care enough to leave a review? Because that's a very precious amount of time to them. And so usually if you're taking the time and energy to do that, that in and of itself is a very insightful metric. With Magic Spoon in particular, you've got this subset target audience of a diabetic crowd. And I'm sure there are parallels across lots of different companies. But when it comes to disseminating the information that is most relevant to that crowd, how do you make sure that you're communicating in a relevant way to them that doesn't necessarily preclude other customers or doesn't ignore the broader audience? I think that's where digital marketing is actually really, really powerful. So for example, on Facebook ads or Instagram ads, we are really making sure that whatever creative asset, so an image or a video they see or whatever customer quote or copy that they click on is a very natural customer journey for them. So for instance, we are able to track what type of an ad they clicked on. So if they clicked on an ad that featured a customer quote of someone who says, I've been on keto for 3 years, this really change the game for me, then we're able to then pass back that data to make sure that the landing page that they land on says, this is your keto secret weapon. This is going to make your life so much easier while on keto and better. And so we try to execute on these group specific strategies to tell the right story for them. And I think that's where digital marketing can be really impactful because we have a lot more information about what they're consuming and what they're seeing than if we were to, I don't know, stand on the corner of the street and kind of market to a mass crowd. And then I think the other thing is different channels speak to different groups of customers. So on Instagram, there are already a really robust communities of keto, low carb, and all these diet-specific communities. Versus on YouTube, there is also, for example, a lot of workout and weightlifting communities for whom we are a delicious alternative to protein shakes. So in the specific channels and in the specific content that they're consuming, we try to change up our value propositions or really highlight some of the attributes that will be especially compelling for them. So there's these unique funnels starting with the different specific ads. But if somebody goes and Googles Magic Spoon or types it in and goes straight to your website, there's not necessarily a massive list of if you are a CrossFit bro, diabetic, it's it's more general if somebody's going direct to the website. Right. And we don't want to inundate them with all of these facts either, right? So for that scenario that you mentioned, if you were to Google keto cereal, you will probably see something different from just Magic Spoon. And there we really try to be very simple in our messaging and say, healthy cereal that tastes too good to be true. Here are our three major nutritional facts, 11 grams of protein, zero sugar, only three grams of net carbs, and keep it very simple and succinct. So one of the things that separates Magic Spoon is the D2C nature of, of the brand. But why do you think that is so unique or groundbreaking in the foods and cereal space? So until Magic Spoon came along or some of these newer brands came along, the cereal buying experience was very one way and very kind of mass produced, right? So there's a handful of brands that everyone knows about. All of the marketing by definition is a little more broad. It doesn't really address a specific community or specific group of needs. And you buy it. And if you don't like it, maybe you toss it. But does, for example, like Special K have a customer service line? Like no one really knows. Right. But I think what's really important for us is that because we are a D2C brand, we're able to be very two way with our customers. So, we, as I mentioned with the customer reviews earlier, we're able to have direct access to our customers for immediate feedback, as opposed to these large companies that have month long, like, you know, focus groups or massive surveys. We're able to really shorten that feedback loop in a meaningful way. And 
and really make immediate decisions based off of that. So for example, we had this really fun YouTuber do chocolate dessert ASMR video. And so that's kind of what she does on her YouTube channel. And one of the things that she eats is Magic Spoon chocolate cereal. And we thought it was a just, you know, really fun content. And we really ran with it and used that as a Facebook and Instagram ad. And then we immediately got a bunch of Instagram and Facebook comments that are like, what's happening? Like, what? Is this a Magic Spoon ad? Like, I don't understand what's happening. And so we're able to take them like, oh, all right, you guys didn't really like that. You didn't really understand what that's about. So I guess we're not using that anymore. So I think it's, um, we're able to then take that feedback and literally pull it down in the matter of two days. And so that really smart data-driven risks and pushing the boundaries a little bit and making mistakes and iterating and learning from it, I think is a, just a very different way of thinking about selling cereal in a way that no one had before. And I think we are also leveraging different channels or tactics that we know are really impactful in the DDC space. We're also constantly thinking about how can we meaningfully push the boundaries and how can we meaningfully innovate and do things differently. As you may be able to see, I think there's a lot of kind of convergence in online ads and marketing. So you'll see the same structure of ads or type of ads used by a lot of other kind of DTC companies and brands. So we are always trying to think of ways to innovate. And for instance, like if you were to buy our product and subscribe to our SMS text message list, we don't want to just send you automated boring texts. How can we make it so that it's another delightful moment in your day? Should we send you a cute picture of a dog sitting inside a magic food box just to like brighten your day a little bit? Do we want to open up that channel so that our customers can more easily reach us if they have questions or issues with their order? These are all things that we're really thinking about. And because we do have such a healthy fan base that's really excited to help us innovate and help us kind of guide us there. We're really lucky to be able to think about innovating and pushing the boundaries in a meaningful way. So if a more traditional brand brought you on as a consultant to start implementing a more D2C practice or just general mindset, where would you start? So I think I would first want to know where our customers are and who are they and who's buying them. Another thing is like, I think it's a little bit of a behavior change for existing serial brands. Right? Like, are people used to buying Special K or whatever other brands online? And if yes, why are they buying it on Amazon? Are they buying it on different retailers? I think it's such a mindset shift that I would first want to understand why do you want to go online and why do you want to sell online? And if so, is selling directly to consumer the best use of the resources? Or do you want to partner with like retailers or other companies that are already selling your brand and your products online? But I think understanding who your customers are and what they care about and being able to effectively speak to the needs that you're addressing for them would be really important. But yeah, of course, I'm very biased. So speaking of Amazon, I noticed that Magic Spoon isn't sold there. Mm -hmm. Is that because you are focusing solely on the website or what's the rationale? I always like to joke about how serial world domination is our goal, ultimately. And if we want to be the go-to brand, like we're never going to say never to growing in different channels, right? But right now, we're still very young and we have so many other things that we want to grow first in the direct-to-consumer space that we're not really focused on that yet. And we really like being able to own that customer experience and being able to talk to our customers very directly, which is not really how it is on Amazon if we were to start selling there. So right now, there's just more than enough to do on the D2C side. So we're really focusing on that. 
You guys have tons of raving reviews. How have you managed to build such a vocal, connected customer audience? The first aspect of that, I think, goes back to what we talked about in terms of how we're solving a real emotional problem. So a lot of folks are just really excited to talk about this new product. I think there's also a value of, oh, we're, we're a community of people that are all doing keto together or all doing paleo together. And look, I found this thing. Like, I want you guys to all know about it. I think that we tapped into a community that is already very engaged and already is very vocal and has a really supportive culture within their own community. So I think that was a big factor in that. And I think another part of it is that cereal is just so fun. And a lot of customers look back to their times eating cereal as nostalgia. I want to go back to that time. It was so fun. And our branding is really fun and colorful and enjoyable. So that certainly helps. And lastly, our social media and community team does an amazing job of answering comments and answering questions on our posts and really engaging with our digital community and reposting their Instagram story and really making them feel like they're a part of our community and we have to care about what they have to say. So I think all of those things combined make customers genuinely really excited to talk about Magic Spoon. For a company who's obviously doing it really well, what is the precedent as far as community response to an incoming message or comment? Yeah, usually I think within a day, we try to get back to our customers. And I think it also depends on what hour of the day they post (laughs) because we do have a small team. But I think we just want to make sure that every customer, especially when they have actual issues or concerns, really feel like their voices are heard. and, And we just really care about what they have to say. So as the head of growth, what are the most important KPIs to you? Beyond the obvious ones like you know revenue growth, how many customers are we acquiring? Another important one, and as we talked about, a sustainable growth. So how much are we spending? How much of our revenue as a percentage are we spending on marketing? And how many of our customers are coming back? And if they do come back, how often do they come back? And on average, how many times do they buy after entering the Magic Spoon world? And all those numbers are very important for us. So those are the important ones. But are there any KPIs that seem to get an unwarranted amount of attention or people focus on that you feel don't really move the needle? I don't know if these do get a lot of unwarranted attention. But especially when you're thinking about influencer marketing or kind of endorsement focused channels, there's a lot of like awareness and a lot of reach and a lot of top of funnel engagement that people like to talk about and quote. But for us, just eyeballs or just people listening don't really mean a lot as much as are they the right people? Even if it's a little more expensive to reach them, are they the type of people who will care about our product and understand what we're trying to do here? Do they not only listen, but then come back and really meaningfully engage on our website? Do they spend a lot of time on our website? And do they eventually purchase? And if so, how many times? So I think there's a lot of topple funnel metrics that are certainly leading indicators, but don't really make or break any meaningful campaigns that don't really move the needle for us. Where in the funnel, if anywhere, does new follower growth on social media land in your mind? We certainly track new follower growth and follow it. We view it as a very valuable leading indicator, right? Social media as a whole, because we have such a large fan community out there and a lot of kind of keto and low carb and that community is very active on social media. It's a really good platform for us to be able to directly talk to our community and get a pulse check on how things are going. That's often where we're able to glean insights on what flavors people want 
want, what country they want us to ship to next. So that's really important for us. And another way that social media metrics are really important beyond just followers is also on engagement on our organic posts. So for example, we posted this one very vibrant, beautiful picture of our cereal and our magical cereal bowls against this bright orange background. And for some reason, our social media following like loved that picture. And we had a lot of organic engagement there. And so then the natural reaction from us was, Oh, like, should we use that as an ad? Like, clearly, this is a type of content that people want to engage with. Then we did use it as an ad and have been seeing a lot of success. And that way, our organic social presence can be a really valuable source of insight. Do you think that workflow of organic to gauge the response or engagement to content or an idea is a more effective approach than starting with a paid promotion? Yeah, I mean, I think the types of content that are very conversion focused are different from the type of content that our followers already know about us and understand our value proposition, the type of content they want to consume. So a lot of our page social assets are originated with that conversion goal in mind. But the insights that we get from our organic posts are really helpful in guiding us. So for example, that bright orange colorful post that I just mentioned, that gives us some more high level guidance of, oh, like people like engaging with bright photos. Oh, like people love that our fruity flavor is so colorful and like looks so pretty. Oh, maybe we should use that in more of our ads and have that be one of the factors that we include in our paid social asset creation. But we don't necessarily post it on organic first and then use them as ads because they serve kind of different purposes and therefore should have uh, different elements. Is organic social more middle of the funnel in your mind? Yeah, and also existing customer engagement too. I think our community really likes to follow along as we launch new flavors and kind of share with them like cute pet pictures of four-legged friends of Magic Spoon. And we post a lot of fun, engaging photos there too. And so I think our fans also like to just engage with us on the platform. So middle and I guess post-purchase. When it comes to weighing your digital media spend and where to invest or vice versa, how does attribution modeling come into play for you guys? Of course, attribution is extremely important. But we like to take a step back and think about why is that important. And ultimately, it's important because we want to use that data to ultimately make decisions. So ultimately, we don't spend a lot of time trying to like perfect the attribution model. But rather, we try to help that guide us and understanding that no attribution model will be perfect. How do we have a confident enough point of data that we can then use to action? Like where do we need to put in more investment? Where do we want to scale back? And what's the directional guidance that we get? And how does that attribution kind of continue to change and evolve is the way we think about it. It's not necessarily like the one important source of truth because it'll never be fully accurate. Some brands seem to be on my Instagram or Facebook feeds over and over again with no regard. I have no intent to buy the product and I probably never will. Whereas some ads, Magic Spoon, for example, I do see over and over again until I actually end up making a purchase. It's kind of like, uh, okay, now I'm ready. What's your stance on frequency and impressions? Is there a, a science to the number of times that you get in front of people on digital or is it more situational? We don't have like a hard and fast, oh, like no one should see our ad more than seven times a week or anything like that. We let users self-select themselves into seeing more of our ads if they want to. So for instance, we can tell when you know someone has liked our ad or commented or shared it with our friends. And then we are able to use that data from the pixel and say, Oh, okay, clearly you're interested in us. Maybe we're willing to show you a couple of different ads and see if you engage with them. Maybe then you'll come visit our website and maybe you'll add them to the cart. And so we think about frequency and 
impression is ultimately we don't want to bother anyone, right? We don't want to also waste money on people who are definitely not going to buy it. So we use our campaign structure and our Facebook and Instagram account to make sure that we're letting people self-select into seeing more of our ads if they want to. And I think another important part is frequency alone isn't the most important. I think also having a diverse set of creative assets and messaging so that even if you see something from Magic Spoon five times, if they're all hitting at a different value proposition, or if one is a really fun kind of selfie video from a customer and another is a beautifully polished photo from us, it's not as annoying as seeing the same thing over and over and over again. So I think it is very situational and it is very product and timing dependent. Are there any tools or softwares that you personally couldn't live without? One of my favorites, and this is very tactical, is Unbounce. And so it is a landing page testing platform that makes it really easy for non-design oriented marketers like myself to be able to do a lot of kind of quick tests on landing pages and what customers are seeing once they click on the ad and land on our website. And so I really like Unbounce and would definitely recommend it. Toward the end of our interview, we ask our guests similar questions. But if you could go back and give the just starting your marketing career version of yourself a piece of advice, what would it be? In the very beginning, when I started marketing, I was too focused on optimizing that I think I was inadvertently optimizing for a local maximum instead of a global maximum. So for example, it is a lot more valuable for us to try wildly different concepts and ideas. So a beautifully shot picture of our cereal versus a selfie video from a customer versus a YouTube clip of someone doing a mukbang style video on Magic Spoon. Like those really different concepts, testing that is a lot more impactful for the business than a beautifully shot picture, but with a yellow background versus a purple background. And so I think in the beginning, I was a little too focused on optimizing every aspect of everything that I wasn't able to think about what really matters in the end or what has really large impact on our business, which is that finding the global maximum. So I would certainly advise myself against focusing too much on the local maximum. And I think the other thing is surrounding myself with people who know what I'm doing a lot better than I. (laughs) So my old co-workers, some of the mentors and friends that I really respect, who I can turn to and say like, Hey, have you tried this on Facebook? Or have you tried this in email? Like, What do you think? And I think asking those people those questions and having a conversation is a lot more impactful than just reading about it on Google. So I would certainly advise myself to do that as well. What's your most recommended marketing or business book? This might be unconventional. I'm not sure. But I love the book Radical Candor. It is just about how to give and receive feedback in a really transparent and constructive way. As a part of a small team and in the startup world where a lot of people are you know, overachieving and really prioritizing their work, I think having really strong and healthy dynamic within your team is really important. And Radical Candor was a really helpful book for me in understanding how to give and receive feedback well and smartly. I want to thank you again for taking the time to come on the podcast. And it was absolutely packed with smart, insightful and experience, reality-based recommendations and thoughts. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Where can listeners go to learn more about Magic Spoon and what you have coming up next? I can't spoil anything too much, but we may or may not have some new flavors coming out in the next couple of months. <laughs> so if you're interested, you should go to magicspoon.com and sign up for our email, which is how you're going to find out about these exciting new releases or follow us on Instagram at Magic Spoon Serial. We will link those up in the show notes and thank you again. Thank you so much, Alex. 
And that is going to wrap up one of my favorite interviews of this season so far. I hope it leaves you with a handful of ideas or at the very least, the inspiration to re-examine a few areas of your digital approach. I would strongly, strongly recommend going to take a peek at what Magic Spoon is doing because they're doing big things and they're doing them really well. Thank you all so much for tuning in. It would be a huge help to us if you took a quick second to leave us a review and subscribe. We will be back with another amazing guest next week, same day, hopefully same time. Until then. Food Marketing Nerds is a production of Blue Bear Creative. For interview transcripts and other downloadable resources, head to foodmarketingnerds.com.